Coming to you live from the basement of an abandoned house in the middle of a field, it's the Derek Izzy Show. Making history his story, Derek Izzy. You're listening to The Derek Izzy Show. Welcome back for another month of this great podcast. And welcome back to another month of solitaire cube addiction. For those of you who have no idea what that is, Everyone plays games on their phone, right? And I know some of you play Solitaire. There's a game called Solitaire Cube, and it is extremely addicting, but check this out. Solitaire has been played for years and years. Solitaire Cube figured out a way to monetize it. You can actually play against real people one-on-one, you can play in tournaments, and you can win money. I used to consider it a part-time job up until about two weeks ago when I went on a losing streak, but up until then, it was a decent part-time job, and it's fun. If you want to try it, and as a listener to The Derek Izzy Show, you can download Solitaire Cube, use promo code Derek Izzy, and you will get 20 bucks added to your account when you make your first deposit. Promo code Derek Izzy, D-E-R-E-K-I-Z-Z-I. 20 bucks free when you make your first deposit. And maybe I'll see you in a solitaire tournament. An old expression in life says that when one door closes, another door opens. That expression kind of implies that when that new door opens, there's something promising on the other side. But that's not always the case. One of the topics of our podcast had a rough childhood. Growing up in Virginia, Maryland, kind of moving around that whole Washington, D.C., tri-state area, I guess you would call it, he was abused, being severely beaten as a young child by his father. His father actually had a leather strap with the child's name on it. That was his frequent tool of discipline. And I know that Hitting a child with a belt is kind of a traditional form of discipline. But in this case, it was more of a pleasure for the father. The abuse incurred by this child would be much more graphic at the hands of a half-brother coming from a family where alcohol abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, child neglect, those were rampant throughout this child's family. And that's what he faced as he grew up. By the time he was eight years old, he claims to have been abused by complete strangers in addition to his own family. You can imagine what this would do to the psyche of a young child as they grow into adulthood. By the time he reached age 11, he was an alcoholic and a drug user, his drug of choice being PCP. He became close friends with his nephew. They were very close in age, 
and they came from tumultuous families, so this kind of brought them together. It gave them a bond. But together, they would get into a lot of trouble. By the time this topic of our podcast reached age 17, he and his nephew had committed several robberies in the state of Virginia. They were also arrested several times. Being arrested for drugs, for stealing, this put them both in jail. Once they were released from jail, they were both serving different sentences, so while one was in jail, one was out of jail. But after they were both released, they met up again. This was years later, and the uncle had gotten married since then. But as the two of them met up again, their crime spree would continue. The uncle's wife was not about to put up with this, and she threw out the topic of our podcast. This was a mistake where she would pay with her life. Police would interview the uncle and the nephew, but there was not enough evidence to arrest either one of them, so they were free. Another couple met by chance at a place called the Border Cafe. Was it love at first sight? Well, the man certainly thought so. Being in a band, he dated a lot of different girls, but this one was special. He knew this was the one. Many people say it was love at first sight. This rock and roll guy decided to settle down, and the woman who was smitten with him agreed to marry him and start a life together. They would purchase a house. She would start her own business, and they would have kids, leading the kind of life that most Americans dream of, a happy marriage, happy children, a nice house in a good neighborhood. They seem to have everything going for them. On December 31st in 2005, the uncle and the nephew would make an appearance in Arlington, Virginia. A 26-year-old man was walking down the road when he was attacked by this uncle and nephew. He was stabbed in the chest, neck, arms, and was taken to the hospital and spent two weeks in a coma. After coming out of the coma, he had lost the use of his right arm. Miles from Arlington, in the city of Richmond, Virginia, our happy family was doing well. This tremendous duo of uncle and nephew were on a crime spree. The one thing they knew how to do was rob houses. They started casing neighborhoods looking for an easy target. They wanted to find a place where they could get in and get out quickly with some decent items that had some value. They need money. Driving through a neighborhood, they happened upon a house where the front door was open. Imagine the stroke of luck. This uncle and nephew had been looking for a place that would be an easy target, and the front door is open of this house. They decide to investigate. It was New Year's Day. The father had just come home from a gig, and he crawled into bed at 2 a.m. Was he the person who left the front door open? Maybe. The husband, the wife, 
and one of the children were in the house that day. As our uncle and nephew came in through the front door, they caught the family by surprise. They tied up the husband and wife, put their hands behind their backs, used electrical cords to secure them so they wouldn't move. And they said, if the family would just cooperate, nobody would get hurt. Around 10 a.m. that morning, while the family was tied up in the basement, a family friend would bring the other daughter back home. The daughter had spent the night with the family friend. So the uncle and the nephew decided to untie the wife so she could go to the front door and take her daughter in. During this short conversation at the front door, the wife did mention that she wasn't feeling well, and she made a circular motion with her finger like a gun to the side of her head, or to indicate that she was crazy. The family friend noticed this gesture, but wasn't sure what to make of it. At the end, she just chalked it off to the wife not feeling well and assumed that she was going through some type of mental phase and she was just indicating that she wasn't feeling well. So the friend left and the wife brings the second daughter to the basement. Everyone is tied up now. Now that the family was tied up in the basement, the uncle and the nephew would be able to go through the house and take whatever belongings they needed. It was during this that the nephew noticed a slightly different behavior from his uncle. He said his eyes were different and bloodshot and that they were sticking out like the eyes of an owl. The uncle's drug use continued through his robberies as he was high on PCP during this particular robbery. The two children, ages four and nine, they would start to panic. The mom tried to comfort them, but they were scared. They wanted to be let go. This angered the uncle and his nephew, and they took action. Realizing that they had been in the house for a while, and that after they did leave, the family has seen their faces. They know who they are. The children are scared and starting to make noise. They had to take action. The uncle and the nephew looked for weapons that they could use on the family. They were able to find a claw hammer and a kitchen knife. The two wanted to kill them quickly. They slashed their throats. But the kitchen knife wouldn't do enough damage. One of the men started violently pounding on the wife's face when the slit throat wasn't enough to kill her. The other man took the claw hammer to the children and mercilessly ended their lives. Within a short period of time, the family of four was gone. Now that all the witnesses were disposed of, the men decided to burn the house down. Setting the house on fire and making their exit, they escaped with the stolen items. Later that afternoon, a bandmate of the husband showed up for a party. He saw the smoke coming from the house 
and went to a neighbor to call 911. The fire department arrived and they discovered the bodies in the basement. Their initial assumption was that the family had died due to the fire, but it wasn't until they got the family members outside of the burning house till they were able to see what the uncle and nephew had done to this innocent family. Their reign of terror would not end there. The girlfriend of one of the men had been acting as a lookout. She didn't get along very well with her family, and the group decided that her family would be the next target. The group headed for the girl's house. They were searching for money and possessions, and they killed her parents. After killing them, they decided that she was in the way of what they were trying to do. Even though she had the status of being the lookout to help them in the first robbery and murder, they turned on her and they killed her too. The method of murder this time was a little bit different. They still used electrical cords, they used duct tape, but this time they wrapped their faces in plastic. They even took a sock and shoved it down the throat of the husband. The horror that these victims experienced in the last moments of their lives is something that hopefully none of you ever have to experience. And it's definitely not something that the uncle and the nephew really understood or cared about at the time. But on January 7th, a woman named LaToya, the police used her assistance and she called the nephew's cell phone and the police recorded the conversation. She asked him what happened to the girl, the lookout, and his response was, well, we don't have to worry about her anymore. The duo were driving a stolen Chevy Blazer. The police were able to track down that Blazer to a specific residence downtown. On January 7th, the SWAT team broke into the house. The nephew surrendered immediately without incident. The uncle was nowhere to be found. As the SWAT team continued throughout the house, they discovered him cowering behind a water heater. He surrendered peacefully. Within one hour of being arrested, the nephew confessed to the murders and started to give details about the crimes. The uncle said that the girl they had with them, their lookout, the plan with her and her parents was that she would pose as a victim, allow herself to be bound just as part of the plan while they robbed her parents. But then things just went wrong and he just got tired of her and made the decision on the spot to murder her and then take her parents' vehicle. The uncle was charged with five counts of capital murder and one charge for killing more than once in a three-year period, one charge for committing more than one killing in a single act, one charge for killing in a commission of robbery. The list goes on and on. The uncle was convicted and sentenced to death 
for his role in the murders. He pleaded not guilty. And his lawyers tried to get leniency because of the physical and sexual abuse that he experienced during childhood. But this did not sway the jury. They looked at the two children that he killed and the husband and the wife that were completely innocent. And they sentenced him to death. But he wouldn't give up. In 2016, his case made it to the Supreme Court where they decided not to hear his case. He was trying to get clemency from the governor. That failed. His lawyers fought against lethal injection, saying that the combination of drugs that were going to be used on him would constitute cruel and unusual punishment. The nephew, he pleaded guilty. He received three life sentences for his plea of guilt, but he was able to avoid the death penalty. On January 18, 2017, the uncle was executed. These words are from a reporter to the execution of the uncle. Ricky Gray, who murdered Catherine Harvey, a Virginia Beach homecoming queen, and her entire family, was executed Wednesday night. The execution started about 8.52 p.m. when Gray came out, appeared to sway, and then was strapped to the gurney. The curtain was shortly pulled thereafter. It was unclear what happened between 8.52 p.m. and about 9.30. The curtain remained closed, which many people who have witnessed several executions said was unusual. When the curtain was pulled back, Gray was laying on the gurney, his arms out to his sides, his hands completely covered in gauze or, or tape or something. Um, Gray was asked if he had any last words. His reply was either nope or no sir. Shortly thereafter, the execution began. For a few minutes, he was still kind of moving his head from side to side, and then sh shortly thereafter, that stopped as well. His chest appeared to stop moving. At about 9.40, a man with a stethoscope came out to check his heart. Those who've seen several executions say that normally they're hooked up to a heart monitor, and that nobody comes out from behind the curtain that is behind him to check the heart, but in this case, that happened. Officials announced at 9.42 p.m. that the order had been carried out, and Gray was dead. These tragic events, while taking place in 2005-2006, they left a devastating effect on the people and the areas that were involved. One band found this story so moving that they wrote a song for the family that was murdered. That band is called Drive-By Truckers. The song is called Two Daughters and a Beautiful Wife. The uncle who committed these horrific crimes was Ricky Gray. The nephew was Ray Dandridge. Because now you know the rest of the story. Thank you for listening to The Derek Izzy Show. Remember to play Solitaire Cube. Promo code Derek Izzy. And here's two daughters and a beautiful wife. In memory of the family that was viciously executed in 2006. The two daughters, ages 9 and 4, Stella and Ruby Harvey, 
and their parents, Catherine and Brian Harvey. Good day. Yeah.